And Father, be with me, give me the words to say that I would be happy when I stand before you in judgment. In the name of Christ, I pray all God's people said, amen. So first, a little context. Um, what's happening here in this text? So Jesus is warning, he has warned the nation of Israel repeatedly of the consequences of rejection. And now he's sounding very much like an Old Testament prophet. He laments the nation's lack of response, and he issues another severe warning to them of God's impending abandonment. The sand in the hourglass is running out. They repeat the pattern of Israel's historic rejection of God's messengers, all the prophets rejected, and now Jesus is just, in the eyes of Israel, just another prophet. A point that Luke makes even in the book of Acts as well. So the door that Jesus mentions in the previous parable in verses 22 through 30 is closing for this generation of Israel. The fig tree that you see in verses 6 through 9 of this chapter is about to be uprooted. And so that brings us to verses 31 through 35. I wonder if you've ever thought about how you would live if there were people who wanted to kill you because of who you are, because of what you believe, because of the God in which you serve or the message that you share. It would be a shame if we never thought about that question and it would be a shame because we have brothers and sisters in this world even today that are answering that question and facing that reality. So therefore it would be very sad if we didn't think about that question. One of those brothers um, who I have personally met is Archbishop Benjamin Kwashi. Him and his wife, Gloria, that you, many of you are, know well because we're doing glory jars for Gloria. Um, the Archbishop and his wife live in Jos, Nigeria. He is one of four archbishops of millions of Anglicans in Nigeria. That's where he ministers, and the Archbishop and his wife have been attacked by Muslims multiple times. Ben says the first time they came, they, they took my cattle, stole his cattle. And in, in Africa, that, that's a big deal. It's like stealing a Mercedes um, in America. So cattle means something. The second time they came, um, they were looking for him, and he wasn't there. So they beat his eldest son, They beat Gloria, sexually assaulted her, left her half dead, partially blinded. Ben was profoundly affected by this assault. He said, I felt bad because I felt Gloria was taking my pain. I felt I am the one with the mouth, the one with the noise. This poor girl is taking my pain, taking taking my death. In the face of people who wanted to kill him because of what he believes, the Lord that he worships, the message that he shares, he says this. I don't care how many times the Muslims threaten me. 
I'm going to die someday. I don't care. I'm going to proclaim the gospel until I've taken my last breath. So that's Archbishop Kwasi's answer to the question. What I also want you to see, most importantly this morning, is what does Jesus, what's his answer to this question? So two pictures of Jesus this morning. A picture of resolve in the face of death and a picture of compassion in the light of human indifference. And we see that both here in the context. So let's look at his resolve in the face of death. Jesus had an answer to this question. You see the answer in this passage. He's surrounded by people who want to kill him. Herod wants him dead. Most of the Pharisees want him dead. Eventually, large crowds in Jerusalem will scream out, crucify him. Jesus had to know how to live when there were people who wanted him dead. And his example is important for us, not just when we face circumstances of persecution. I am keenly aware that that doesn't happen often in this country. But we need to understand resolve of the gospel in every circumstance of life, which can be difficult, to which we do face daily. So Jesus is approached by Pharisees, and Luke doesn't tell us whether these Pharisees are sincere. Um, I would say that they're not. It would be uncustomary for them to be uh, helping Jesus out, like looking out for him. And he doesn't tell us whether the Pharisees just want him kind of out of Galilee and back into Judea where they can have more control over him. That could be kind of what they're after. But these Pharisees come to Jesus and they share with him a message And the message is this, Jesus, get out of here, Herod wants to kill you. And you see what Jesus' response is in verse 32. He says, I'm paraphrasing, I'm going to Jerusalem to die on purpose. I'm not scared that Herod wants to kill me, and by the way, he can't lay a finger on me until my Father in heaven says so. My job is to perform cures and to proclaim the gospel, and I'm going to do that today, and I'm going to do it tomorrow, and I'm going to do it the next day and next week, and so on and so forth. I will die in Jerusalem when I'm good and ready, (laughs) essentially is what he's saying. God is providentially watching over me. He has a purpose for my life. And my purpose and the reason why I was born into this world was to die. But I'm not dying here. I am heading to Jerusalem. And I'm not dying at the hands of Herod. It's in Jerusalem that I'm going to die. He's unafraid. Essentially, it's this. The mission of God marches on (laughs) in the face of death. Resolve. And this is really to be our attitude. Our attitude of resolve. No matter what the circumstance, I resolve to make disciples of all nations. We love God's fame. 
and we are committed to magnifying his name above all things, we cannot be indifferent to missions, to spreading the gospel, to our neighbors who we may not even know. We look to the example of Christ and stand with resolve to the work that lies ahead. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of what? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If we here at St. Paul's are disobedient to that call, that resolve, you need to know that it's ultimately not the cause of God and the cause of world missions that will lose. You know who loses? We lose. And so his triumph is never in question. God's counsel will stand and we will, he will accomplish all his purpose. His triumph is never in question, only our participation in it or our incalculable loss. We can be drunk with private concerns and indifferent to the great enterprise of spreading the gospel. But God will simply pass over us and do his great work while we shrivel up in our little land of comfort. Jesus had resolved, therefore let us do the same. Amen? We could stop there, but we're not. So picture number two, he gives us a picture of compassion in light of human indifference. And this is what I love, because right, we could all like stand today and say, listen, I'm ready to die for the gospel. That's courageous. But what if someone said, why are you going to die for the gospel? Then what's your answer? Jesus' answer? L-O-V-E, love, compassion. Look at his words, verse 34. Now he tells you at the beginning of verse 34 that when he gets to Jerusalem, they're going to treat him just like they treated the prophets in the Old Testament. Meaning, the people are indifferent and you see that in verse 35, right? Notice verse 35, and behold, your house is forsaken. Who's the house? Israel's the house. They're forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So what in the world is going on? Like, right, He's, can't they see him? Here's what's going on. Yeah, they see him but they don't really see him as he really is. He's just another prophet that they're going to nail to the cross. They don't see what we see, right? If Jesus came in here, we would all fall flat on our faces because we can see, 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 that he's Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. They're indifferent. But notice, Jesus has a heart of compassion. Look at the end of verse 34. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. See what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is using Old Testament language that God used for bringing the people of Israel under the watch care of his wings. It's a beautiful picture. 
And Jesus says this about these people and about Jerusalem. It really speaks into our lives because you know when you become a Christian, you begin to have a heart like Jesus. You begin to have compassion for the lost. One of the signs that you're a growing Christian, that you have an abundant Christian life, is that you start to have a compassion like Jesus has compassion. You may see a neighbor, but they're not just a neighbor. You may see just a fellow human being in the marketplace, but they're not just a fellow being, human being in the marketplace. You begin to see people differently. You long for those who face an eternity separated from God to come into fellowship with him by faith in Christ. You can't be indifferent to that because there's something that should compel you in the resolve to share that message. And it's love. And so the way you live begins to show that compassion. You share the gospel. You're committed to the support of evangelism and missionary work around the world that as many as possible can hear the message of salvation. Come to faith in Christ because your heart has been enlarged with compassion. And even towards those who would naturally be your enemies. <laughs> right? That's when it gets hard. Like, yeah, I know I need to share the gospel with my neighbor, but what if I don't like my neighbor? <laughs> well, maybe an illustration will help. Many of you know, and I'll close with this, the story of Jim Elliott. Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, a couple of these are Wheaton, Illinois boys that went to Wheaton College. They had a love and an ambition and a resolve to bring the gospel to the most primitive, savage people on the face of the earth, the Akua Indians in Ecuador. And what they knew at the outset was this tribe was cut off from the existing world. They were essentially a tribe that was just secluded to themselves. And if anybody came into the tribe, they would be speared to death. They were savage. Before they made, so this is what they decided, before they made any contact with them, they would fly. They had a small plane. They would fly in tight circles above the tribe, and they would drop what they called Love packages, like peace offerings. We come in peace. Here is a gift of love from us. This is what they did. And they just kept doing this. Not only did they have a resolve in the face of what might happen, but it was love that was driving this resolve. Love for these people were driving the resolve. They, as you all know, were martyred. Their mutilated bodies were found downstream, except that of Ed McCulley, who was never found. But in their journal, Elliot wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. So, resolve in spreading the gospel. And the love and compassion of Jesus that fuels that mission.
Brothers and sisters, that, that is the work to be done here at St. Paul's. And so may we look to Jesus as our supreme example in this Lenten season.